Hey, Lily, have you ever heard where we get the word bug from in software development? You know, Randy, I've never really thought about it. Please tell me this isn't one of your dad jokes, though. <laughs> this is actually a good one. The way I heard it, it comes from Rear Admiral Grace Hopper when she was using punch cards on the computer back in the 1940s. Her code just wasn't compiling, so she went through the stack of cards and found a moth squished in the stack. So the first software bug was actually an insect. And you know, the story is probably a bit apocryphal, but you know what they say about not letting facts get in the way. Okay, that actually is a decent story. And it's perfect for this week as we're talking to Stacey Kirk, the founder of QualityWorks, and a bit of a legend in the world of QA. She's here to talk to us about what every product person needs to know about quality. Ooh, I could use some help in that space. So let's not waste any more time on stories. The product experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Hi, Stacey. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's really, really lovely to have you here. Glad to be here. Thank you. So before we get stuck into the interview, it'd be really great if you could give us a quick introduction into your background and, and what you do. Yeah, well, um, I have over a 25 year career now um, in software quality assurance. I started as a college student doing an internship and testing and thinking that it really sucked. Um, and uh, there's something in me that says, you know what, there's so much room for process improvement here. Um, I want to dedicate the rest of my life to it. <laughs> and apparently, <laughs> apparently I have. And so um, for the last 10 years, I've owned my own uh, consulting firm that focuses around software quality. Um, and we have a unique um, position on it in that we are coming to we're coming out with great products, not necessarily lots of bugs. Um, so most of the team that I have, they either have a software development background or a product background. Um, and so they are able to bring that into uh, the consulting that we do so we can really focus on how do we quickly deliver what customers are looking for. So what does QA mean? Is it just bug free software? Yeah, great question. To me, um, it doesn't mean bug-free software. And I always use this example. I had one client that came to us and said, we want you to redesign this app. Um, and so in preparation for redesigning the app, I used it, uh, used the app for about four hours. And I have this unique superpower that if there is a bug in an app, it will stick to me. Uh, I will, it'll find its way to me almost immediately. And so I used the app for four hours and could not find one bug. But I've got to tell you, it was the poorest, one of the poorest quality apps I've ever experienced. And why is because no one wanted to use it. Customers did not like it. And so quality really is defined by the value that um, you provide to customers, bugs or no bugs. You can have, and we know a lot of apps, 
have so many bugs, but are just still so valuable to to the end user. So that's kind of how we go about making our, our bar. Can we make the customer happy? <laughs> that's amazing. So with that in mind, then, like, I'm really curious how you kind of approach your testing scripts or like how you know how do you approach testing if your focus is on the value to the customer rather than creating software that is just bug free well great well this ties right into product product (laughs) listening (laughs) Um, (laughs) sometimes product loves us Um, sometimes it's uncomfortable but i challenge all of my consultants that um, they're going to either have to become very good best friends with product, or they're going to have to have product as their second responsibility. Um, because you really can't uh, build scripts um, and build test cases unless you understand the customer. If not, you, all you're doing is taking functionality, you know, this you should be able to log in and password should fail if it's incorrect. And you're, you're really testing for functionality And you don't have a clue if it's something that um, the customer would really like and want. So um, it does start for me um, having my team very well integrated in the process from the beginning. And like I said, I've been doing it so long that there were times when, you know, people would hide from me. They're like, oh, there goes the QA person trying to come into our meeting. We're not ready for you. We'll wait. When the when the code is done, we'll call you in. And I, and I would be like, no, you're not. I'm coming in while you're still thinking through the ideas because, um, as I mentioned, my superpower of bugs just finding me, I also have this superpower that the most severe bugs find me. And everyone <laughs> thinks, like, you're just so lucky. And I'm like, no, I'm not lucky. I just am nosy. And I... <laughs> And I listen from the beginning about what customers, what you're saying about the customers. And I put myself, kind of transform myself into that customer and use it. If you tell me you've got teen, teens between 10 and 14, I'm going to I'm going to act and use the product and test, create test cases completely different than if it was my mom who's in her 80s, you know. So all yeah. of that is really critical in, in terms of how we put together our test plans. So the way you're describing it almost sounds more like what the way I would hear a lot of designers and researchers describing their job. So where is the overlap or is there overlap? Where does one begin? Where's one end from your perspective? Yes, there is overlap. I think there should be overlap on all of the roles if you're working mm-hmm. in an agile development, um, because nobody on the team is perfect. You could have a great product owner, but if they mess, if they, let's say, two percent of what they do is wrong. You really want someone else to overlap on that two percent. And so I I have, I think, the most incredible consulting team um, for delivering high quality. And it's because they're diverse. Um, Even before I started my own company um, back during and this is dating my age during the dot com boom. In San Francisco, I was a QA manager and trying to hire during the dot-com boom was so crazy. Everyone, people were hiring people out of McDonald's. Um, And so building a team, I ended up building a team that was the most diverse in terms of their backgrounds. But what was so great is, you know, I had someone that used to be a DBA, but they were able to give some coverage over the database team. I had someone that was a construction worker. I mean... (laughs) I don't know. I I don't know. I think he was just my strong arm for getting into the meetings I needed to. But (laughs) no matter what it was, you know, 
there should be overlap and 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 hopefully teams are getting away from the idea of no 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 that's my area it's really we're all responsible for getting something great out the door from what you were describing as the, the what you think quality is um it sounds like you to going towards something i've I've worked with a little bit, but I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on, but the idea of behavior-driven development, was that the analog that you're going for? Or is that an accurate description? Yeah. Um, well, they, they've kind of evolved even beyond B- BDD, behavior-driven development, to um, um, agile a- acceptance test-driven development, uh, ATDD. I don't know if, if you've heard of that as well. You know, they come up with a lot. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that my, my company has, uh, Quality Works has QDD, Quality Driven Development, that just covers all of that. But what is the difference between all of these? So, um, behavior driven development was, uh, designed for thinking through tests before you actually develop. Um, but doing it in a way where you use common words, uh, um, you know, given this scenario, when this happens, this should happen. So it really was reducing the um, reducing the time from product to testing by creating the user stories the product would do and putting that into um, actual automated test code. Um, and so every time you say, given, you know, user Joe the plumber, um, you be, you would have some code that say, okay, log log me in as Joe the plumber. Um, so that's what behavior driven development's kind of basis is. How do we make that faster, and how do we use real words to explain it? So, um, as a product person, you could write all of your user stories and maybe even have them automated um, uh, without you actually having to to write any code. Um, so I think it's I think it's valuable. I'm not one of those people to be like, ah, that's not a good thing, but um, it is still very much functional base. Um, so you're still talking about the function. You're not talking about the user and the customer as much. And so mm-hmm. agile acceptance test driven development is more focused on the user. And and what I like about that is there's a lot of conversation there. So, you know, it, depending on where an organization lies, there's some that are diehard product owners have to create the acceptance criteria. I always I've never seen an organization where product owners have done a great job of it. And I'll say um, I have another company uh, that's a startup called Posture where I am the product owner. And <laughs> I realized it sure is hard. It really is hard. Um, and so, you know, I've always recommended and I think that's what's so good about um, ATDD is that it's a conversation. It's a team event where you uh, as a product are really explaining as a whole, not just the functionality you need in the product, but why, who's the customer, how is it going to impact the customer? Um, and it's it's training um, and it's 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 a training process while you're also building um, your, your tests. So all of them are good. (laughs) They're all good. (laughs) If you were kind of listening to this and thinking about your own quality assurance processes, is this like, you know, when you're optimizing everything to its extreme, this is like the perfect scenario of QA? Or is this something that you can really do in a, um, you know, if you don't have much time and you have a small team and you can kind of do in a sort of more scrappy sort of startup way? Yeah, um, I I always feel like you know there are no optimal teams. There's some that um, there's some teams that appear to be optimal, but this is really about 
just inclusion, more of quality, the quality assurance person within your organization. You may not have one. So that could be whoever is going to be the champion for quality. Um, so even if you have a very small team, two developers, one tester, one product, um, the I, I actually feel like those smaller teams actually get it right more often than the larger corporations. So it's definitely um, it's definitely something that can be done right away. Um, what I've seen is that the best products come from teams that go to lunch together, um, mm. the teams that you know hang out together after work or now on virtual virtual uh, after parties um but uh as a product person i've seen many product owners feeling a little bit disconnected from the development team um and so really it's about building that connection letting letting us in as as qa and, and developers letting us in to just know your your issues and challenges that you're having, um, because I do believe that uh, QA, there's no other person on the team that has such alignment with a product uh, owner's goals than a QA person. Mm -hmm. um, so wherever the two of them can get together and chat and be very aligned, I think you're going to get an even better product out. Okay, so what does a QA person need from a product manager in order to do their job really well beside this, uh, you know, closeness? I think uh, the biggest value for QA is to be involved early. So it's that inclusion. Um, there are a lot of product owners that, that and, and this is part of the pre-agile team uh, mindset, that there is a stage when you bring testing in and you bring QA in. Um, and until then, they're really not going to add value and let them get back to what they're doing. We don't want to waste their time. Um, mm -hmm. But being involved early um, allows them to be strategic. And it's unfortunate because a lot of testers aren't allowed to be strategic. And because of that, they fail. Um, they are, you know, their bugs are released into production and they're like, why didn't you think about that? And they didn't think about it because nobody ever explained that users use the product that way. Um, so mm -hmm. they didn't create test cases for it. So what I've always asked for is please let us be involved as early as possible, because there will always be a time when the tester has not enough time to test to fully regression test the product and be asked. You've got two hours. You've got three hours. You choose what test cases you believe need to be done. And it's in your hands. And um, that's a lot of pressure and stress. But if you know the product and you know, you know, what is the most valuable portions of the product from a customer's perspective, you're going to make a better uh, choice in terms of how to test the product quicker and more effectively. So how do you go about getting into the mindset of the customer? Getting in the great question. <laughs> um, well, I do believe we we do a better job now because of we have UI UX of really doing um, a drill down of user personas. I think that's a great a great start. One of the things that I think is very valuable is is having aligned metrics and goals between QA and product, um, meaning. Most testers, their metrics are so old school, and I know old school, I'm from it. The, their <laughs> pass rate, what's your pass rate? How many 
test cases have you executed? I mean, come on, that's, it's just, that's such a waste, right? It's kind of like, hey, I've tested this much and this is how many bugs I have and this is my pass rate, which doesn't tell you anything about, are we ready? Is the customer going to be happy? Um, and so getting into the mind of, of the customer starts with having goals and metrics of what quality means in, from a customer perspective. And so that's that's kind of hard for a product, but I think they're up for the challenge of saying, hey, QA, this is how I measure a great product, a high quality product. And I want to see if you can make this part of the metrics that you track um, as we, as we uh, test this product out. Changes to our digital world in 2020 mean many companies need new tools to help them flourish, and Amplitude is here to help. With their product intelligence platform, they help top product teams at companies like PayPal, Instacart, Peloton, and Atlassian to build product experiences that convert and retain customers. In fact, they've become the gold standard in analytics for teams asking questions like, how are people using our digital products and why do users convert or drop off? Which features drive the most impact and what should we build next? See for yourself how companies like DoorDash and Cisco build for growth using Amplitude. Visit amplitude.com MTP. What's an example of how those metrics might come? Is it things like prioritizing journeys so that the kind of the more, most important journey is um, friction free or and, and how do you measure that? Yeah, absolutely. Understanding, understanding the journeys, understanding the high priority journeys um, are, are always really good ways for uh, the QA team to get a sense of uh, who the customer is. In terms of uh, other metrics, there's um, customer feedback loops, which I think are very valuable. And it, it can be very hard to do sometimes, but um, depending on what type of the size of your company, how in touch you are with the company. But it's um, it's one of the things that we do as a, a development team, because some of my team said are developers, and so they are always itching to do more development projects as well. Um, part of what we do in our quality-driven methodology is make sure that testing happens at every stage. And that includes not just testing from our internal QA team, but having um, a group of real customers that are always on a weekly basis looking at the product and are giving feedback and saying, yeah. And I mean, this is, you know, beta testing, user user experience testing, um, but making sure that we are we're gaining measures from that that we can actually work and improve on. How often do we give our customers something that makes them feel good and feel happy and 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 want to use it again and recommend it to their friends? And having those as metrics, I think, are just as valuable um, as getting a bug count, <laughs> if not more valuable. Is it part of the process to let users, to let customers be part of the QA process? I mean, can we put a beta tag on something so that they know that it is not a fully functional release, but and use is acceptable to release something to them and use them as part of the process as well. I I think it's wonderful. Yeah, okay. I I, I <laughs> there's this there's this one developer that uh, just to tell you a quick short joke is this one developer. I would tell I would ask her, hey, um, could you let me know um, exactly you know what 
the product does um, and how it works. I need to get the requirements. I'm not getting them. Maybe you can share it with us. And she goes, that's cheating. Like uh, (laughs) your job is to find them. If I give away like what it does, then that's not going to be fair. Like I want you to to find them. And I was like, cheating. We're all on the same team. Right. And so I think there's Mm -hmm. this block, like we can't let the customers see it. Like that's, we, we got to wait until it's out. And it's like, why? It sounds that sounds crazy. If you can get customers to look at it while you're building it, um, you it's guaranteed you're going to end up with a higher quality product. Because at the end of the day, we all have our own ideas of what a great product means to a customer. But there's nothing like getting um, the experience of a customer and to say, yeah, you're wrong. I would never use these functionality <laughs> features. So um, yeah, as soon as they're available, it's available. And and I've had that experience now having my um, own uh, cybersecurity as a, uh, as a service platform called Posture. And part of me being a testing background is I wanted it to be perfect quality before I released it, which is not how you build products anymore. You get out, you get out products that are uh, good enough to show the functionality and you continue to iterate on, on the quality and, and functionality. So now that you're sitting on this side as well, <laughs> how do you know when it's good enough to to start showing it to customers in a, in a live, you know, not in a just a testing research capacity, but to actually release it to them? It sounds like it's more art than science, but there's probably especially in what you're doing, there's got to be some specific barriers say it has to be secure. It has to be compliant. But does, where are you allowed to, to skimp on things? How do you make that judgment call? Yeah, well, it's uh, getting talking to a lot of investors and people that have done their own startups. It comes to does someone want to buy it or if it's, <laughs> if it's, if it's free, if it's free, it's like, does someone say I want to use it now? I don't want to wait. You know, um, and that's kind of the gauge because I, I got to tell you, I just I don't know if I'll ever feel like the product I'm I'm working on is quality enough for me because my bar is so high. But the way it we released it as an MVP and people purchased it <laughs> and people want to use it. Um, and what comes out of it is a validation of what really is high quality and what's not. Um, and it's so much easier. I mean, I feel like I should have started a year before. I should have just put out, you know, a login screen with the hello world and just iterate from there. But it's so much easier to build a higher quality product faster by having the customer use it than than us to continue to go through iterations of trying to figure it out on our own. So quality, you mentioned earlier about user testing, which is interesting because I, I, when I think of a QA person, I don't, I think of user testing as coming more into the realm of like a, a UX uh, role, but I guess, you know, user testing is still a quality, you know, is it actually working for the user? That makes total sense. Um, And it reminded me about accessibility testing and penetration testing and functional testing and stress testing. And so do you, is this, should this all come under the hat of the, the QA person within your team? Should this, should the QA person be expected to think about and make a plan for all of these different areas? In, in an ideal world, um, but it's very difficult, just like there's developers that have a specialty on the back end or front end. Um, it's very hard to find a QA person that can be an expert at all of those areas. Um, and so you kind of have to, again, um, look at your team 
as a whole, not just the testing testing team, and say who who is best fitted to handle this. Um, sometimes there is no there there's no UI UX team, so the, then you may have a QA person that is very in tune with that area, and so they take that on. Or um, we do a lot of user acceptance tests, um, beta trial, uh, uh, a part of what we do. Um, for our customer, our clients, because we want it to be organized and structured. And that can be sometimes hard for them to, for, for someone within their organization to manage. Um, but performance testing, stress testing, security testing, all of those, you know, it's very hard to find one person that can do it all. But there could be a developer on the team that can say, hey, I've got this area, I'll cover that area. And so it's really just figuring out how the whole team will come together to 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 solve solve that and and if it's needed um, from the beginning. Some of it, you know, if you only have five users, maybe you can wait on the, the stress and performance testing a while, <laughs> but not too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, and is QA getting easier? Um, you hear of all of these new fandangled automation tools or and and kind of monitoring tools. Do you think it's much easier these days? I think it's um, more mature. Um, I don't think it's easier. Um, In terms of what's expected from a a QA person, it's it's as broad as I've I've shared now. You you are expected to be involved from the product side. You're expected to um, understand the code, um, to write automated tests, to understand how to do performance testing. Um, So I wouldn't say that's easier. That may be a little bit more challenging, but I do believe that um, it is matured and it is a more pleasant place for an agile team if it's if it is really inclusive of the QA person from the beginning, um, so I loved when I loved when Agile was mainstream to the point where I became a Scrum master and became an Agile coach just because I wanted to. I knew how important that was to the overall quality of the product. Um, and so, if you're on that type of team, yeah, I think life is life is a lot better, but more demands now because of it in terms of you being more technical because you get an opportunity to be exposed to it. Mm. <laughs> Um, so, Stacey, you're also um, a really strong advocate for diversity in tech. And um, I saw on Twitter you kind of recently there was a tweet about something that you said, which was preaching about diversity of perspective being the catalyst for innovation. And I was like, ah, oh, yes, I'm so with you on that. But tell me, tell me more. Tell me, um, you know, why you think that is. Yeah. Well, using the example I shared earlier about how diverse my team was during the dot-com boom, um, there's no there's no product that has, well, I won't take that, but there may be a few, but most products have diverse users. Um, and so if you don't have any diversity in the people that are building the product, you really are shortchanging the, the end user. Um, and so it's, it's one of the things that has been very important for me um, to be able to have and to bring those perspectives into an organization that doesn't have that, that level of diversity. Um, for my own organization, I have over 52% women, and that's high for a tech organization. Um, yeah. And uh, the majority of the people that work for me are from of, of African descent. Um, and so uh, my my uh, value and the value that I, I try to bring in as an advocate is, you know what, it's important to have 
people that don't look like you, genders that may not be the same as yours, people that didn't have a background and experience that you had, having them be on your team only strengthens um, the overall product and end goal um, because they are thinking of things that you wouldn't have thought of. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just as people are raised differently and come from uh, different um, experiences, they really add so much more value. And, 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 and the evidence is there in terms of how much better diverse teams perform. Um, and so it's not just, it's just not theoretical. It is, is proven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But one thing I often hear is, you know, people trying to kind of hire more women or hire more people of colour into predominantly white teams Um, and then kind of saying, well, yeah, we kind of can't because there's just not the diversity in the talent pool in the first place. Um, So, you know, what's your kind of take on this? Have you experienced any of these sort of trials yourself or... Um, well, I've definitely heard that there's a, a lack of uh, people in the talent pool of of, in diver- of diversity. But I, I mean, it just I, I don't I don't believe that's the case at all. Um, what can be very a very slippery slope is when people say, "Well, there's people, but they don't meet our. They're not a good cultural fit." I mean, cultural fit is a very slippery slope. <laughs> Um, and if you are trying to broaden your culture and per- perspective, then, you know, maybe someone that comes in may not within, you know, three minutes be able to answer the algorithm that you've brought um, as, as an interview question. But they have other values that are way broader than just that algorithm um, that you kind of have to um, incorporate into um, your interviews. And so even how I interview and bring people into my organization has so much to do with their experience. Like what what behaviors have they have they exhibited in the past? What have they done to be who they are? Um, Because that to me is a way better indicator than if. Can you solve um, a, a technical problem in two minutes? Um, and so it, it's it's just something to kind of be be aware of that you kind of instead of saying there's no talent, um, it's it's how are you identifying talent and and defining it? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I'm going to do a callback to something you said earlier and try and apply it to this because I've heard diversity um, defined so many different ways and it doesn't seem like there's any one right answer to this. So if you were doing acceptance test-driven development and trying to figure out if your company or your team is diverse enough, what would that story look like? Well, or what would that directive look like to, to say, yeah, we're, we're there or we're getting there. We're, on the, we're heading on the right track. So let me, let me just make sure I understand. <laughs> how, would I, how would I validate that uh, my team is diverse enough? Yes. <laughs> Um, that's a great question. And I don't know if I have, I don't know if I have the answer to that. I will say, um, I'll I'll say what I normally say. It's not diverse enough. Uh, have we, have we, has anyone met a team that's diverse enough? I haven't. Um, so I, I would say it should be part of the mission of the team to continue to make it diverse enough. You may, I mean, I've heard, oh, you know, we've got, we've got a, we've got a woman on our team. Um, and we've got, you know, we've got two people of color. So I think we've got our diversity, like we have a voice, but, um, I really feel like it's, it's not necessarily a numbers thing. It's, it's definitely, um, you know, uh, more than just, 
you know, gender or um, ethnicity. It's just continuing to say, I want a team where I get as many unique perspectives as possible. And you probably are never going to get like you would in a test, pass, fail. It's <laughs> going to be it's going to be continuous improvement. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome fantastic. Stating. Thank you. That's such yeah. a good answer. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been really great chatting to you. Thank you. I had a great time. Stacy really is the queen of Agile QA, which, you know, also happens to be her Twitter handle. You know, I obviously don't give QA enough thought, so it was really great to be reminded about what a critical function it is and how we should be working with our QA people. Too true. And if you need more timely reminders and inspiration to do your job, just subscribe to the podcast for a weekly dose of wonderful guests. Oh, and lovely hosts. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band PAU, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arna Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. Connect with your local product community via Product Tank, our regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups driven by and for product people. We offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share learnings and tips. Mm-hmm.